Hi, everyone. It's Melinda Garvey with the See It To Be It podcast. This week, we have another great interview with an incredible role model. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the See It To Be It podcast. I am your host, Melinda Garvey, and super excited to be here with you this month as I am every month and bringing you another incredible role model. This month, we have Eleanor Beaton, and she is with us from Canada. I guess you're in Nova Scotia, right? Which is super yeah. cool. I'm like, I don't know that I've ever met anybody from Nova Scotia before. So that's a cool place. But she is joining us today. She is a woman who is out to empower female entrepreneurs. And we're super excited to have her today and just learn more about what she's doing. It's so exciting to be here and be reunited with you. We go yes. back a little bit. Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. It is funny when something crosses your email and you're like, wait, I think I know her. So, and I'll, I'll be so excited when we get back to having events. You know, I haven't been to a conference, a women's conference or events, but it's where I meet so many great people like you and just hoping we get back to doing that soon. Anyway, well, I'm glad you are here today. And I always love to take my subjects back and, you know, talk about like, what was your big dream when you were growing up? When you were a little girl, what'd you think you were going to be doing? And sort of what does your path look like to get where you are today? So when I was a girl, I had very clear designs on being a supermodel slash investment banker. <laughs> so, wow. Yes. I was I like it. supermodel or invest. So I grew up in the age of like the great supermodels, like Cindy Crawford and Linda mm -hmm. Evangelista and Naomi Campbell. I used to watch them like walking the catwalk. I just thought they were these incredibly glamorous women. It was such an example of women who to me looked so empowered in their femininity. This was all the stuff that little Eleanor was like reading into these women. Plus I was really tall. Yeah, I never had that aspiration. Like, yeah. I'm 5'1". So, you know, that, that was never, never in my dreams. Well, this was it. I was like, I want to be a supermodel. This is what I want to be. And, and I did like five minutes of modeling, you know, when I was younger. And that, that was the beginning and end. I wanted to be that. And then I had an aunt who was a really successful investment banker in the city in London. And she was such an inspiration to me. So I was really inspired by these incredible, strong women who were highly visible. They were rich. They were very successful. And that really inspired me. I quickly realized I don't like necessarily having my picture taken. And as I grew older, I was like, the supermodel thing isn't happening. And I really wasn't that interested in investment banking either. So I ultimately went into journalism which we obviously share a passion for that. So I went into journalism and then translated that into like a communications consulting business, which was my first business. And then ultimately I started a new business in 2015, which is really focused on women's leadership development. So it was definitely a bit of a winding path that I took, but there were a few sort of core skill sets. When I think about the thread of my journey, there's definitely been a few things like these skills and curiosity that I carry with me through it all. And do you think that early recognition of powerful women, I mean, I love it that you describe supermodels that way. And last month, the woman I interviewed, when I asked her the question about what she wanted to be when she grew up, she said, I wanted to be an Avon lady because I saw those women as so empowered. They got to go door to door. They made people feel amazing and powerful. And I'm like, wow, I love the framing of that because 
hey, Avon ladies were our first entrepreneurs, right? I mean, they were out there doing it. I really like that about supermodels too, because I think sometimes they get discounted and they are. And certainly the ones you named have gone on to be incredible activists and really powerful women in their own right. But do you think that that sort of was a framework for where you are today and your passion for helping women sort of get to that power? That's such a fantastic question because as I reflect on it, absolutely. And there were a couple of things about that. Number one is that you can't, as you say, as as your show is so aptly, you can't be what you can't see. You have to see it, you know, in order to be it. And so I saw my aunt pursuing this incredibly successful career. I saw that she had so many options because of financially what that career was able to afford her, the freedom and that kind of thing. And that was incredibly inspirational to me. I can remember during the height of like those supermodels that I was talking about, I can remember news reports that Naomi Campbell said she wouldn't get out of bed for less than $10,000 a day. And at the time I was flabbergasted. That just seemed like a massive amount of money, but here was a woman owning her worth, like recognizing her value. And I definitely think that women sharing their stories, women leading the way and women inspiring. I really saw how for me, just knowing that it was possible and being inspired to reach for something that that was the best sort of guidepost. It was like a directional guidepost. And I really started to see how valuable that is and have continued that through, you know, um, the work that I do today. Like my company, Safi Media, our big thing is we're on a mission to double the number of female founders who sustainably scale past a million in annual revenues through, you know, entrepreneurship, education, business coaching, and storytelling. And the storytelling to me, it's the same thing that had like 14 year old Eleanor, you know, looking at Naomi Campbell and being like, well, maybe that could be me one day. Yeah, sure. That's right. Exactly. I mean, seeing that in there. So let's talk a little bit about Safi Media and what you're doing in this very specific goal to get women past this million dollar mark. And I have a couple of questions around that. I mean, number one, is there a common thread when people come to you for this coaching, for this sort of, you know, helping them get to this place. Is there a common thread among the women of what they're struggling with? You know, are there mm-hmm. a few things that you're like over and over and over again that you see? Yeah, definitely. Because the place that I focus on is actually the area where so many women are starting businesses right now, especially when you think about trends like the great resignation. So many, many women are starting businesses that are based around selling some form of knowledge or service. And so it's like consulting type businesses or service type businesses. And there's so much information and so much of the conversation around entrepreneurship today is very much tailored to kind of a Silicon Valley, high tech, explosive growth. Let's get big money to fuel the growth. Let's try to be a unicorn, you know? And of course, a unicorn is a company with a billion dollar valuation if a listener isn't sure about that. But, you know, I am on boards of venture capital organizations. We do invest in companies like that. I see how few women are at the table legitimately. And I've been at so many conferences where I'll talk to people about what I do and they just quickly write it off as a quote unquote lifestyle business. And I started to see how, well, 
most of y'all are never going to be unicorns. Why are you writing off lifestyle businesses when we know these founders, they're going to hire people, they're going to contribute to tax bases, they're going to be examples of greatness you know, in their communities. These companies are just as important. So the things that I see for sure are really two things. They come down to how do you actually scale a service business? Because most service businesses get to that first quarter million, let's say, through hyper-customization. Every contract is different. The service delivery looks different. The big problems are scope creep. The founders are caught in the delivery trap. They're usually hired because they're genius at what they do. So their genius becomes the biggest enemy to scale because they can take on really complicated, complex work that makes it difficult to replace themselves. So that's sort of the typical thing that we see over and over and their business becomes, this is like, and I understand this sounds super privileged, but their business becomes like a prison, you know, like they're making money, but they can't get out of it. And that's typically what we see over and over. Interesting. And in terms of the women sort of on a personal up, so they have this business problem, but are you finding that they also sort of share some of these, you know, imposter syndrome and some of these challenges? You know, when you think about in today's day and age, you know, getting to a million dollar business, I mean, with the numbers we see bantering around, my gosh, even in the last two years, things have gotten insane. It almost like a million dollars is just like nothing these days. So, you know, how do you sort of frame that? And in terms of mindset, do you find that that's a challenge as well? Absolutely. So there's part, which is the money and to really see, and I can remember, you know, I think it was at the event where I first met you. I can remember Ingrid Vanderbilt talking about a mentor at the University of Texas at Austin or something. I think that's what it's called that a mentor was like, oh, you just moved the decimal over. You just add some zeros, then move some decimals over. Like that's all it is, you know? (laughs) So That's definitely a part of it. Like just understanding that literally, you know, in some ways it's easier to run a bigger business than a smaller business. Like you have more team, more supports, like all of that. So that's a part of it. Amen. I'm so glad you said that. In fact, I just, sorry to interrupt you, but I want you to say that again. It's often easier to run a bigger business than a smaller business. And I think that that's so important for small business owners out there to just hold on to. And I am a small business owner and I can tell you that I have learned that sometimes the hard way by feeling like, oh, their business is better than mine because their revenue is five or 10 times. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I can do tenfold what they can do. (laughs) Yes. And you do, you know what I mean? You do. And so exactly. And I think those are the conversations that it's so important for women to have together. Like it really is just moving the decimal over. You know, and in many ways, you've already done all of this hard work. Like I remember in my first communications consulting business, like in the course of a year, I might do a hundred different deals and they were all different. I was working constantly. I missed a ton of my kids growing up. It was a blur, you know, it was just a total blur. And now the business is much bigger, but in many ways, it's much simpler there's much more focus. We sell two things you know, mm-hmm. compared yeah. to like a hundred. And it was just, we serve more people. The business is much simpler. It's much more profitable. That's huge. And the key thing that I had to go through and that I see so many of us have to go through is you have to be okay with letting go of things. And you have to be like, I'm going to focus on these two things or these few things. And I will allow that to be enough. 
because for so many of us as women, you know, we're raised in what is still a relatively patriarchal culture. We've made tons of advances, but the culture itself, women are, men still are kind of at the center, you know, and we're getting there, but we're not quite there yet. So what happens when you're not kind of the, the center, you're sort of off center, you end up doing a lot of this unconscious stuff, feeling like you have to hustle in order to be worth it. And that drives a lot of a lack of scalability in women-owned service businesses in particular, because there's so much hustling for worthiness. Like, oh, if I just do this, if I just do this for this person, if I just do this, and it's like, no, you have to, you know, really get focused and allow that to be enough that you don't have to be all things to all people. You don't have to give people everything that they want. You can really choose a lane and stay in it and create a beautiful business that provides for you and your family, even for generations, just doing a couple of things. So I think that's a big mindset shift that I definitely had to go through that I think others do too. Yeah. Interesting. I want to ask about this million dollars because I mean, I'm like you, you know, being in journalism, we're always looking at the stats and for years and years and years and years, this million dollar mark has sort of been the barometer, right? Like, okay, yeah. well, is a million still the number? And in 2030, is it going to be, or is it going to need to be yeah. 3 million? I've wondered about that, especially in yeah. today's economy and what's happening. So we definitely have things like inflation, you know, and that type of thing, which, which could potentially devalue what a million can actually buy you. According to the research that I've done and my company has done, when you look through it in order to double the number of women-owned companies that scale past a million in annual revenues by 2030, we would need to inspire, support, educate an additional 200,000 female founders to do that. But it's not you, crazy. It's, it's not, not crazy. crazy, right? Yeah. And so it's good to have a number and it allows you, you know, so you're going to have to get the work in and mm -hmm. it's not impossible. So as far as is the number to me, you know, what I see is it's a powerful number because it means that there has to be a fundamental change in the business model, in the way that the service has been delivered and that that has to happen and what that requires of us and who we need to be and how we need to change, it impacts. And so I think about what we have, I told you, I would burn, I would be enraged when I would be at these events and people would be like, oh yeah, that's a lifestyle business. And meanwhile, I'm like, you don't have a hope in hell of accomplishing unicorn status, just so that we are clear. I know it's not going to happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm seeing this, but it showed me how important it is to have a language, to have a promised land and to be able to name that promised land. And so when I was thinking about the women that I work with and I was like, we don't have a promised land. It's just called a lifestyle business, which any entrepreneur knows this is a lifestyle choice. If you don't set up your business properly, you don't have the freedom you think you have, you know? Right. So I thought about what was so important to me, to so many women founders, and it really comes down to cash influence and autonomy. And how do you create a model that drives that? And so we created this model called the jewel business model. And what that looks like is a company that grows and many service-based businesses can do this, that grows at 30% or more a year until such time as the founder wants to accelerate or decelerate that growth. The company has 30% profitability, which is a really important number because it means that she has the profits to be able to reinvest back into the growth of her business if she wants. And then the founder also has 30% open time. 
which means that she has sufficiently freed herself from being directly in the delivery and operations of the business. So she has that space and capacity to be strategic, to let it grow. So 30, 30, 30, and it's just like a really cool kind of rule of thumb to think about how can you make tweaks and how you're building your business as a service-based founder in order to make this happen. Very interesting. And I think that, you know, going back to sort of the frustration over naming it a lifestyle business, because I also have a technology company. I've been oh so lucky to run in circles that are different than mine (laughs) and listen to a lot of this boom gaga about unicorns. And I have heard many men, investors say, I would rather see someone just absolutely go for it, go for the unicorn and, and just try and fall on their face and fail epically. And I understand conceptually where they're coming from, but truly it's like, that is so celebrated that even if it ends in failure, like it's about, oh, that they went for it. Even if they epically fail rather than, wow, this person steady Eddie for 20 years and has had this really great business. There's not any kudos for that. No, there's not. Oh, isn't that cute? Yeah, I agree with you. I totally get where they're coming from. And I think that's totally admirable and works for some people. But, you know, it's interesting. I can remember like back in the day, I was a journalist and my beat was high growth companies. And so every year in Canada, we had like the top, this thing, which this magazine released the top 100 fastest growing companies in the country. And my job was to interview the founders and write stories about some of the key, you know, so I poured through hundreds of financials. I interviewed hundreds of CEOs, wrote so many stories. And I can't tell you how many stories of complete burnout founders thinking they were having heart attacks when they were actually panic attacks, like major things. And so behind that, just give it, just gun it, you know, grind, go big, big, hairy, audacious goals makes it happen. There are major consequences for so many people. So I think looking at, is there a different model of growth that's more sustainable for everybody? And can we celebrate that and make that just as worthy as unicorn status? And the longer we write it off as a lifestyle business, most serious founders don't want to, you know, I'm not running a lifestyle business. Are you serious? I'm running a jewel business, you know? It's like, why do we have to, we we need a new name for it. Just like we need a new name for retirement, you know? It's like, what? Like we need new names for things as we're, evolving. And I I think that you hit on the key point is why can't we get to a place where we celebrate both? Because I do think then people would look and say, well, look, I have a choice. And if I choose this choice, I'm going to feel a little bad about I went the slow route or I didn't, I didn't go for it. I'm not, you know, ballsy enough, whatever that is, you know, but I mean, that whole concept of like, why can't we just celebrate both equally? If you are the kind of person that needs to knock it out of the park and go for it, whether you epically fail or not, great. Like, you know, and and I, I think that that is absolutely key. You know, you touched on this sort of wave of women leaving the workforce. And just, I think yesterday, the day before I was listening to NPR and they were talking about giving some numbers and they talked about 2 million women left the workforce during COVID and a million have gone back. Yay. That's great. But then what about this other million? So that's the real question is like, where are they? What are they doing? How is this going to affect women's advancement in in general? Do you sort of have any sense or are you seeing an influx of women into your business because they have left bigger roles and are doing their own thing? 
Well, yeah. I mean, because I'm typically working on them when they're a little bit past that startup phase, I haven't personally seen it yet, but I have because I work almost exclusively with women over the last 18 months to two years, almost two years now, I have definitely seen this reckoning, you know, and it comes, the reckoning in particular is happening among the women that I'm working with who have a certain degree of privilege, meaning they had jobs, they have some savings, they have the ability to make choices, you know, to have some flexibility, but a huge reckoning about what's important to me. What do I want? COVID really opened the door to having all kinds of freedoms and entrepreneurship because it's cool now. Like when I was growing up, entrepreneurship was not cool. It was right. like, what is a business right. owner? What do you know? It's quite <laughs> cool now. Now, the thing that I worry about is that it's presented as this sort of very sexy maverick style. And to me, I'm like, listen, it's also a dogfight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes, oh, yes. you know, like you have to be so gritty to really make this work. So anyway, so that's kind of what I see. What happens long-term, I'm not sure, but I do see that some of these kind of corporate structures that are very hierarchical, very uh, sort of return to shareholders driven, bottom line driven. I see that those structures, I think they're in the midst of a big shakeup. I don't know. It's exciting because it's like, what is this going to look like? What will have been the net impact of the great resignation of women making different choices five, 10 years from now? But right now it just feels like we're still in the middle of it and I can't quite see what's happening really or the impact it'll have. It is interesting. I think that, you know, unfortunately, you know, we're seeing sliding in technology, which of course women were finally, we were at least getting recognition and getting to some of those higher echelons. And I'm like you, I'm sort of waiting with bated breath, like what's going to happen. And perhaps there's going to be, what I'm hoping is there's going to be this epiphany among these companies that when they're not as profitable because their women have left and their women leaders have left and they go, oh my gosh, we can't do this without women. And then the tables turn and they pay them not only their value, but women are a higher price tag. Yeah. Right? Because <laughs> okay. exactly. Hey, we got a dream, right? We got a dream. That's right. We got a dream. No, a hundred percent. Because when you look at these companies, they control tremendous amounts of resources and power, and we need to have women in those seats. I admire, like, I think it's not an easy place to be. Very interesting. Well, maybe we'll have to get together in a year or so and talk about this again, see where we are. But as we sort of get ready to close up, I'd want to ask you about two things. First of all, I would love for you to tell everybody about your podcast because you have a very popular podcast. And tell everybody about it, what it's about, where to find it. I I would love for um, our listeners to know. Awesome. Thank you. So I have a podcast called Power Presence Position, and really the show delivers practical insight for female founders. So it's about storytelling. It's, you know, telling stories of female founders. It's about positioning, marketing, messaging strategies to help you kind of stand out and scale your company. So that's what the podcast is called, Power Presence Position. Excellent. I'm assuming they can find it on all the popular All the platforms. That's good for you. Well, check it out, everyone. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. And as we close up, if there was one piece of advice that you could give to women today that you feel like would affect some immediate change, like if women did this, what would that be? 
So to me, the biggest thing that has impacted me and helped me is to embrace all of my inner selves. <laughs> and, and here's what I mean. I have, like many of your founders and listeners, I bet, you know, there've been so many times where I've hired coaches. I've been coached on mindset stuff. Oh, that's a limiting thought. Oh, that's this. And they just kept coming back. <laughs> you know? mm, that's right. And I would keep saying, oh, there's that limiting thought again. And one of the things that I've learned to do is that those limiting thoughts typically come from a younger, earlier version of myself. You know, there's the part of me that got burned by putting myself out there. There's the part of me that took risks and took chances. And there were so many great things and so many challenging things that happened. And what I have learned is that you spend so much time trying to keep those early versions of yourself at bay, like so much energy. And for me, what it meant is that I was getting exhausted. It was unsustainable because at the same time, you're trying to grow and push the frontier. So for me, what I have learned is that when I feel uncomfortable, when I feel scared, when I feel that imposter syndrome, I take a step back and I'm like, okay, who is that? Who is it? Who is it inside me that's saying that? And I try to take time to get to know her, to figure out who it is. And I invite her along. I say, look, I love you. You're amazing. Come along for the ride. I need all of these great things about you and you don't have to run this business. I've got you. I'm running this business. I'm leading this life. So that it's like a more <laughs> complex piece of advice. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's been the most important thing. And it's one of the things that set me the freest as a leader and as a woman to be who I am today and not a hungover version, <laughs> you yeah. know, of who I used to be. Well, yeah. and not always needing some outside source to tell you you are enough, yes. you know, that you have learned to do that for yourself. I think that's really yeah. the key is like, how can we get to the place where we know it's going to happen and it's okay, but how can we do that for ourselves? We built enough confidence that we can, we can slay our own internal dragons. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Eleanor, thank you so much. It's been really, really great to chat with you. I'm sure there are some entrepreneurs out there in service businesses that are listening that would love to know how they might find out more about your services. So where can they find you? Yes, yes. the best place is to go to eleanorbeaton.com. Excellent. And we will make sure that we have that in all of the, the notes as well so they can find you. And just so appreciate your time and all of your just great advice and sharing your story with us today. Thank you so much. It was such an honor to reconnect. Thanks for listening to the See It To Be It podcast. For more female empowerment, inspiration, and advice, subscribe to our free weekly newsletter featuring a new woman to watch each week. And check out over a thousand more featured women at onthedotwoman.com. Know someone we need to feature? Reach out at onthedotwoman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.